Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. I'm Dallas Taylor. The 808 drum machine is everywhere. And even if you don't know it by name, you have definitely heard it before. I laugh because if I listen to the radio for an hour, there's not one record that you hear that's not an 808. That's DJ Jazzy Jeff. He's a world-renowned DJ, musician, and one of the early innovators of hip-hop. In the place at about this time, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince just bug, bug, bugging out. Losing it all, no sense. Hey, Jeff, scratch it, scratch it, man, scratch it. There was nothing that was more distinctive and more sought after than an 808. The Roland TR-808 is a drum machine. This is Paul McCabe from Roland. Roland is a company that makes electronic instruments. When they released the 808 in the early 80s, drum machines weren't exactly sought after. For 20 or 30 years, they had been used mostly in the home. We have to remember in the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, music being played in the home was still a very popular thing and uh, television hadn't taken over the living room quite yet. So families would often gather around and they would play music. People would play music as a pastime. Uh, A high percentage of the population was playing music. And though families were hanging out in the living room playing music, they typically didn't have a drum kit laying around. They'd possibly have a guitar, maybe a piano, or a home organ. As you can imagine, people wanted a rhythmic instrument that wasn't as big or loud as a live drum kit. If you see photos of some of the earliest drum machines, in fact, you'll even see drum machines that are designed to sit on top of an organ where the music rest would normally be. So particularly the earliest drum machines were really working to try and recreate the sound of a small acoustic drum kit. And so there would be a kick drum and a, and a snare drum and cymbals and tom-toms. Drum machines were used for casual purposes and weren't really that useful to professional musicians. But in time, musicians did start to find uses for drum machines. By the 1970s, many songwriters would program a drum beat and write to it, a practice Phil Collins used often. But as people found uses for drum machines, early versions of electronic music were starting to go mainstream. This is the Robots HQ by Kraftwerk, a four-piece band from Germany. Kraftwerk is one of the founding fathers of techno. They helped introduce new, weird technology to popular music. They built their own instruments, so they were playing some of the earliest electronic rhythm instruments that you could play and strike. It's here in the 70s when electronic rhythm machines started to catch on. 
these drum machines slowly morphed from family novelty instruments into something professionals were using. They started to become used more in live performance in a situation where either an acoustic drummer wasn't available or to enhance a rhythm section, and then they started to appear in recordings. One of the machines that started appearing in recordings was a predecessor to the 808, a drum machine called the CR-78. Here it is in Blondie's Heart of Glass. And here's the CR-78 in Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight. These songs inspired early demand for stage-ready drum machines. That demand ultimately inspired Roland to create the 808. They wanted to build a machine that was relatively durable, movable, and affordable to the average musician. When one sees a TR-808, it almost looks military in its design. It's kind of a drab olive color. And there's a reason why TR-808s are still being used today, because you could drive a truck over them and, uh, you know, probably many of them would still work. That was kind of what was in our mind at the time. There have been a few instruments in history that changed music forever. The piano revolutionized classical music history. Electric guitars defined rock and roll. And the 808 transformed hip-hop and electronic music. When we think about the sound of the 808, and again, we think of it in terms of its influence on hip-hop and R&B. And, you know, when we think of hip-hop, of course, we start with Africa, Barbada, and Planet Rock. It's this otherworldly mashup of this kind of East Coast New York sound with Kraftwerk. In the early 80s, it was so new that um, you were trying to get your hands on whatever drum machine you could to basically make your beats. And like a lot of musicians at the time, DJ Jazzy Jeff heard Planet Rock and was captivated by the drum sounds. There was no drum machine that had a kick drum that sounded like that, that had a snare that sounded like that, that had a Christmas to the hi-hats like an 808. So it was definitely sought after so that you could kind of make these records. We emulated whatever we heard. So, you know, when Planet Rock came out, it was kind of like, I need that machine. Once these DJs got their hands on an 808, they found themselves expanding on its possibilities. Listen, listen, listen for the beatbox. <laughs> there was a record funk box party by Mastodon Committee, and he was a DJ that was very, very good on an 808. Musicians were experimenting. Here's Egyptian Lover over on the West Coast. And here's SOS Band. They're kind of like a pre-hip-hop funk thing. Here's Marvin Gaye's more minimalist use of the 808. As musicians began experimenting with the 808, it wasn't clear if this sound had staying power. It could be just a flash in the pan that would be replaced by the next version. But it didn't quite go like that. 
There was all these moments that were happening, these musical moments that were very serendipitous in New York in the early 80s that, you know, if they'd gone left instead of right, if this guy did this on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday, we probably wouldn't be talking about the 808 in this context today. It was literally that kind of magical. And believe it or not, a huge factor in that magic was that when the 808 came out in 1981, it wasn't a big hit like Roland had hoped. We'll explain why and how that ultimately was a good thing after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com 20k now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com 20k. NetSuite.com slash 20K. What's amazing about the 808 is that it seemed so unlikely to succeed. Imagine a Japanese engineer in the late 1970s creating these synthesized drum sounds, and those drum sounds crossing the ocean and revolutionizing hip-hop forever. But before it did all that, it was off to a shaky start. Drum machines at the time were largely meant to replace a live drummer, so it was all about getting it to sound like a real drum set. Right about that same time, 1981, the first drum machine that used recorded sound clips or samples came into being. At the time, companies were putting out these drum machines that were sample-based, which is really just another way of saying that they played back real recorded drum sounds. And the 808 was fully synthesized, meaning it didn't sound like a real drum set. To me, this is very Nintendo and Atari-ish. Here's my computer version of what I think a drum kit is supposed to sound like. And it doesn't sound anything like a drummer or a drum set at all. It was their interpretation, but their interpretation became the backbone 
of electronic music. An Atari video gamey sounding drum kit was not at all what people wanted. Well, initially. Here's Chiranjit Singh, an Indian musician making 808 music in 1982. Bizarrely enough, since the 808 wasn't that successful in the beginning, they began to show up at pawn shops for super cheap. I ended up getting mine from a pawn shop because you couldn't really walk into a store and see an 808. People started picking them up because it was a piece of equipment they could actually afford. Recording studios often had one on a shelf collecting dust. Or somebody's friend might lend them one for a live show. But the jury was still out on whether the 808 was anything more than just a cheap drum machine. The 808 was really facing quite an uphill battle to gain any kind of acceptance. But in a kind of one of these classic your strength is your weakness paradoxes where the strength of the drum machines that were based on recordings of actual drum sounds was that at first glance they sounded more natural. On the other hand, certainly with the technology available at that time, you couldn't really adjust the sound that much. We were used to having a drum machine that you were stuck with basically the sound that came out of it. There wasn't too much manipulation that you can do. So to have this machine that you can take the snappiness out of the snare and you can add more boom into the kick, this one machine could sound a hundred different ways. Adjustability was the key. As other musicians began to sample recordings of real drums, Roland was doing the exact opposite. Using synthesizers, Roland engineers tried to recreate the essential elements of drum sounds. Instead of recording a kick drum, an engineer figured the kick drum is supposed to be bassy and bottom-heavy. So using synthesized sounds, they created a bassy, bottom-heavy tone. And so with that in mind, you look and you've got these 11 sounds. Here's the kick, snare, closed hi-hat, open hi-hat, crash cymbal, there's toms, hand clap, rim shot, cowbell, You always got to have more cowbell. And finally, clave. When you start getting into the clave and the cowbell, those were two very distinctive sounds that if you put them on anything, you knew they came from an 808. Because it was kind of like an artificial sound, but it had its own texture and it was very distinctive. The clave, the cowbell, the hand clap, so many of these 808 sounds were super distinctive. But one of these distinctive sounds seemed to change music forever. That's the low, bottom-heavy kick drum. There was a point in time that I felt like people were afraid of kick drums. You couldn't have the kick drum too loud. You couldn't have it too boomy. Here's Scorpio by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. You can hear that the kick drum is relatively low in the mix. Someone had the heart to put an 808 kick drum that it was round and it was boomy and it felt really good. Here's Planet Patrol with a rounder, louder kick drum. then somebody on a record opened up the decay. And when that kick drum rang out, it was nothing like you've ever heard. 
Here's DJ Jazzy Jeff himself opening up that decay and letting the kick drum drive the song. Murphy's Law takes over your life And you just can't seem to do a darn thing right And when the day was over you just had to say You said, man, it's just one of those days The sound of the 808 kick drum became synonymous with hip-hop. The idea of young people driving down the street with big, boomy subwoofers was largely because of the 808. And that connection stuck. Here's Latrem, a Miami-based hip-hop duo, singing about boomy car stereos in 1988. Felix the Housecat released the song Kick Drum, which does the same thing and pushes the 808 kick drum decay to its absolute limit. You're not supposed to have your bass drum driving that much. And it's kind of like, why not? Everybody's riding around in their car playing this music and it's vibrating their car and they enjoy that. There's no right and wrong in it. I really feel like the 808 kick drum was one of the first things that started shattering the rules of what you could, what you couldn't, or what you should or shouldn't do when it came to recording music. People didn't know they wanted a boomy kick drum or a funny cowbell. But once they heard those sounds, it seemed so obvious. It was like a ringing kick drum should have existed all along. What made you put a decay on the kick drum? Like, no one ever thought to make a kick drum ring. And what made you think of putting this on there? And did you ever think that it would become this iconic? If you've ever been in a recording studio or seen photos of a recording studio where there's acoustic drum kit set up, if you're able to have a close look at the kick drum, more often than not, you're going to see all kinds of materials either stuffed into the shell of the kick drum. Often it's blankets or towels or things like that. You'll sometimes see things that are taped to the head of the drum as well. And these are all to dampen or muffle the ring of the kick drum because left unmuffled, you strike a kick drum, it's going to sustain for quite a while. What they were trying to achieve was the sound of an acoustic drum set. But since it was a synthesized sound, this rebuilding of a kick drum took on a life of its own. So recognizing that, Roland thought, well, okay, that's clearly what we have to do to make this thing sound like an acoustic kick drum, so we put a decay control on it. This essentially turned into a whole new instrument with new sonic parameters. It was so different that the studios making early hip-hop records didn't even know what to do with it. My rhymes have been written not to be bitten, but as it seems, some suckers keep forgetting the rules about rapping, but that's all right, because in the next five minutes, I'm going to have them all up tight when we did He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, was the first record that I used 808s and 808 samples on that I wanted the kick drum to really resonate. And I remember fighting with the engineer because I wanted to push the envelope on how loud and how deep I wanted the 808 because I knew there were some hip-hop records that you would get in a car and you would play it and the entire car would vibrate. And I was like, I want that. But since that was unheard of at the time, the engineer refused. I had to fight with the engineer to turn it up, and he would turn it down and turn it up. And I had to kind of explain to him, like, I understand that there is a technical way that you think you're supposed to do something. I want to push that envelope. I need this to be this loud. 
I needed to be almost at the brink that it's not distorting and it's not overpowering everything, but I need this to be the focal point of the record. Hip-hop is something that the drums have to drive the record. And I got him to allow me to do it to the point that I loved it. And what I never realized was I never told the mastering engineer that I wanted that. And he thought it was a mistake. And he took all of the 808 out of the album. And I don't think I've ever said this in public. I can't listen to He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper now. That is the biggest record we've ever done. And I absolutely hate the way that it sounds. They sucked all of the bottom in from the 808 out in mastering. Here's a clip from He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper, as it is on the record. My rhymes have been written not to be bitten, but as it seems, some suckers keep forgetting the rules about rapping. But that's all right, because in the next five minutes, I'm going to have them all uptight. And here's probably something like what DJ Jazzy Jeff was going for. My rhymes have been written not to be bitten, but as it seems, some suckers keep forgetting the rules about rapping. But that's all right, because in the next five minutes, I'm going to have them all uptight. Stronger than a dinosaur, better known than sin. I'm in the battles I battle, I usually win. With the birth of any genre, there are growing pains. And in a completely unexpected turn, the Roland TR-808 and its boomy kick drum became the voice of hip-hop and electronic music. The rattling car stereos, the big subwoofers at clubs, they became a new culture. And once it established itself, it spread like wildfire. The 808 is everywhere. Now you'll hear 808s in, I don't want to say every genre of music. There's some styles of music that are so rooted in acoustic, but it's in pop music everywhere. And we know just by saying pop, that's such a wide term now. It encompasses world music. It encompasses electronic music and EDM and techno and house and what have you. It's not an understatement to say that the 808 is just everywhere through pop music. It was a perfect storm of accessibility, adjustable tones, and brand new alien sounds that made people love the 808. The engineers in Japan could have never imagined the way this machine would change the sound of pop music and hip-hop forever. Hip-hop is really based off of taking what you have and making it do something that it's not supposed to. We are not supposed to scratch on a turntable. We're not supposed to scratch on records. We're not supposed to drive the kick drum and push things to that level. None of these things make any sense. So as much as it doesn't make sense, it completely makes sense that this Japanese engineer made a drum machine and people started using it in a way that he didn't intend to use. And it works. When we talk about the 808, we talk about a sound and an instrument that has actually defined culture. And so culture is the bigger context within which music fits. And so a world without 808, I think it's very reasonable to speculate that fashion would be different, entertainment would be different. I think we wouldn't just be talking about a sonic notch. I think we would be talking about a cultural notch that would be profound. The 808, sort of by accident, became the instrument that shaped hip-hop, just like the electric guitar shaped rock and roll. But at the end of the day, no matter how useful and no matter how distinctive, these are tools. Cultural moments have a way of clinging to new tools, which help communicate new ideas, or help say something that hasn't been said before, or at least say it in a new voice. This is why I love music so much, because there's a thousand different combinations 
and ways to get to a result. At the end of the day, you realize that someone who had a crappy week at work, depending on how you present this music, you can change their day. You can introduce two people together that end up spending the rest of their lives together just by playing music in a certain way to bring people together. I've been blessed to have a thumbprint in music and making it or playing it that affects people's moods. That's the coolest job in the world. Thousand Hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Phil Corbett. And me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly. It was edited and sound designed by Soren Bajan. It was mixed by Jai Berger. Phil Corbett is the host of Van Sounds, a podcast about movement. It's a unique blend of music journalism, travel writing, and experimental radio. You can find Van Sounds on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks to DJ Jazzy Jeff for speaking with us. You can find his work, merch, and updates at djjazzyjeff.com. And thanks so much to Paul McCabe from Roland. If you'd like to play with an 808, Roland has recently reissued it as a smaller machine with a USB connection. All additional music in this episode was from our friends at Musicbed. Check them out at musicbed.com. Finally, if you have a comment, episode suggestion, or just want to tell us your favorite track featuring the 808, reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or by writing hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.